tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. To ask any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Welcome, welcome. Oh, gosh. I should be careful the documentaries I watch. I was watching something on archaeology on the coast of Peru. And I, this is some quite a way to start the show on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, but I think I think it's germane. Apropos of this, nothing, or it is germane? Uh, well, it, it, I think it'll, it'll fit in, and I'll, I can bang away at it and make it fit. But um, it was just, they found that, that, Child sacrifice was normal for the Chimu culture, which is the immediate um, predecessor of the the uh, Inca culture. Uh, I mean, in the hundreds, uh, they found they estimate about a thousand. Uh, they would have these big events where children were sacrificed, along with llamas, and uh, that's not the part that I'm want to quetch about. But there was this glowing commentator who was an art director of some kind, and she just said, uh, you know, that, that oh, this Chan Chan, the capital of the Chimu Empire, was, was the New York of the ancient world. It was cosmopolitan and sophisticated. And what is hard to understand is how a, a, a group so sophisticated and artistic could possibly sacrifice children. And I thought, yeah, right. It's, it's the, it's the, this it's the 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 sac the secular sacrament of our country now the right to kill your children um uh, for far less than they did i mean and far more children i just it just galled me to watch this smiling woman talking about the sophistication of the Ch- of the chimu culture and and uh it was just i'd like to think of it as the manhattan of the ancient world and she's glowing about all the art and the sophistication. And how could they sacrifice children? I wonder if she's noticed that thousands and I, you get my point. So with that said, um, on this Feast of the Immaculate Conception, uh, let us pray. Because I want to talk about the Immaculate Conception uh, and, and the reading. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, oh, have mercy on your people, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created. You shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the powers of God, by the powers of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, God will not be mocked. I, he, God will not be mocked. Um, scripture says that. And uh, 
we need constantly to to uh, to pray that God will have mercy on our society because uh, you know I I just really believe we're by the sins of the nation um, uh, we are storing up. Well, never mind. Let's move on to something more pleasant. Talking about our blessed mother. Um, I have shared with my with you. Oh, there. Yeah, open the big book on the coffee table. That's right. But I'm just going to launch into this. I have shared with you, especially in the past couple of weeks, my harebrained theories about the uh, the Immaculate Conception. And I noticed in the uh, at Mass today in the uh, in the preface, <laughs> I'm not the first to come up with these theories. I was I was amazed. I never noticed it before. But I'll get into that. The, you know, somebody called in and they want to leave the church because of, uh, of uh, uh, they just can't cope with the idea of the Immaculate Conception. So they were talking to a Greek Orthodox priest who said, well, we believe that everyone is immaculately conceived. I would maintain, looking at things like the Chimu culture and its capital Chan Chan, and looking at uh, New York, the Babylon of of the modern world, uh, and it's the rivers of infant blood that are spilled to maintain it. Um, I would I would say that someone once said, and I agree with him, that the most patently clear and true doctrine of the Catholic Church is original sin. Look at human history. Uh, we are we are uh, uh, people who live this intensely flawed life without the grace of God. Oh, people are basically good. They are. Um, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, in my heart of hearts, I bear the image of God, but I've I've layered it over with selfishness and sin, and and so have you. Uh, so uh, this idea that well, we're all basically good. I, I just can't swallow it. I believe that, that we are a flawed race in need of salvation. We're ne- in need of salvation. And if you don't think you need Christ, if you don't think you need the forgiveness of God, you live in, well, I suppose the appropriate term is in a fool's paradise. And uh, we're desperate for the forgiveness of God, not just for eternal life, just for life in all its forms. I mean, how dare we? You know, it's getting, you know, all these beyond and back experiences um, that I speak often about. And I think they have some interesting weight, um, you know, the light, the tunnel, all that sort of thing. Well, I think it's convinced a lot of people that, well, all dogs go to heaven. <laughs> and I refer to to, that to, to us. Well, uh, only only one out of five people have a pleasant experience of death. One out of five. It may be a narrow gate. Um, very frequently, if if a person is quizzed immediately uh, following their near death or you know experience, whatever we're calling it these days, a clinical death experience, it's not so pleasant. Um, I believe there's a heaven and a hell. But beyond that, even were it for this life alone, which Saint Paul says it's not, we are a flawed, flawed kind of being in desperate need of salvation. Um, so uh, I had a friend in college uh, who was, shall we say, very, very progressive, certainly more uh, left than I. Uh, but he said, 
a doctrine he believed wholeheartedly in this story today and in 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 the reality of the garden of eden i said really you do you don't believe in any of the rest of it i said and he said no i just have this feeling it it had to have been better it was supposed to be better and this is true of of human society it's supposed to be better which brings us to the immaculate conception part of my harebrained theory is our blessed mother is not the first person immaculately conceived the immaculate conception is very biblical adam and eve were conceived without the effects of original sin the immaculate conception is that our blessed mother was conceived without the the effects of uh, of original sin the weakening of the will the 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 uh, predominance of desire concupiscence that's a word meaning strong desire in latin adam and eve albeit conceived in the mind of god were conceived without the effects of original sin they existed before original sin and they didn't want their immaculate conception. They said, no, thanks. We want to be the friends of God. We don't want to be his, his, his sons and daughters. We don't want to be his slaves. And in, in the gospel reading today, our blessed mother says, behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Handmaid, that word is female slave. That's what the word is in Greek, dule. It, it means slave. Behold, the slave of the Lord. Uh, that's... Uh, very important. They didn't want to be the slaves of God. Children in the ancient world had all the rights of slaves, except that they would inherit. They, the children were without rights. A father uh, in Roman society could execute his own children uh, and his own daughters-in-law, uh, anyone in his household, and the children of anyone in his household. He was the father of the family, Potter Familius, and he had an absolute power, and occasionally it actually would happen. Uh, so... Children had no no rights other than that when their father died they inherited and then they had rights, even as adults they didn't they didn't really have rights over their father so uh, that's not what Adam and Eve wanted they wanted to be the friends of God so many of us want to be God's friends well I want to be God's friend but <laughs> before I can be his friend I have to be his slave his son his daughter okay that's a little strong so. Uh, uh, you know, friendship with God is, is, is very important. However, we are his friends after he is our Lord. Well, moving along here, the next thing I want to harp on about the Immaculate Conception is that I think that the Immaculate Conception had two purposes. And I was amazed to notice this after, I mean, I'm only an old man and should have noticed it a long time ago in my life. Noticing in the preface for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, we read, You preserved the Most Blessed Virgin Mary from all stain of original sin, so that you might prepare a worthy mother for your son, and signify the beginning of the church, his beautiful bride without spot or wrinkle. So she, she symbolizes, she signifies the church. Now, everybody is used to the idea that the the father prepared a perfect humanity for his son through the immaculate conception of of our blessed mother but i maintain he didn't have to do that you know he didn't prepare a perfect humanity for her through the immaculate conception of saints joachim and anna her parents no didn't do that the father could have done it directly but he chose to do it through the blessed mother our, our blessed mother the virgin mary 
And why? So that she could signify from the very moment of Christ's conception in her womb so that she could signify the church. She could symbolize, incarnate in a certain sense, the church. The church is holy. The church is one holy Catholic and apostolic. Our Blessed Mother is one holy Catholic and apostolic. She was one uh, absolute unity in herself. Uh, She was apostolic. Uh, She was delegated by the Father for this work. She was Catholic. I mean, look around. Everybody loves her, even people who who don't venerate it the way we Catholics do, especially at Christmas time. Uh, they seem to love the Blessed Mother so much so that the government still allows a stamp to be made with her image on it. Um, but holy? The Church is holy. Our Blessed Mother is holy. There was a moment in history when there was only one member of the Church, and that was Mary the princess of the house of David. For the church to be holy, it must have holy members. It must have saints in it so that it can drag along the deadwood like me, the sinners. You see, a lot of sinners in the church. This is a good thing because that's where we need to be. The church, a hospital for sinners, not a refuge so much for saints. But we cling to the merits of the saints Just as a a sinking ship stays afloat because it has watertight compartments, so too we rely on the holiness of the saints. And when the church had just one member, that member was a holy member. So she signifies, she incarnates the church. And the fathers of the church called her the proud boast of our race, the human race, not any particular ethnicity. She's the proud boast of the human race. In other words, she's what we can be if we cooperate with the grace of God. We can be Adam and Eve because she's the second Eve. She's the new Eve. And that's the idea. So that's why we love her so much. She is, you know, all these, remember the bracelets, what would Jesus do? Jesus is the only begotten son of God by nature. I'm never going to live up to that. I would like to know what would the Blessed Mother do? And of course, what would the Blessed Mother do? Do as he tells you. So I think that this is a very important idea, biblically, uh, because the church is not optional. It is uh, necessary. Now, <clears throat> the man called his wife Eve because she became the mother of all the living. We get the name is Eve, but in Hebrew it's Hawa, <laughs> which becomes Eva, Eva, <laughs> Eve. So, and the, the the word for living is Chai. That's the word for life. H A Y. But the H is it's actually a Ch, Chai, Lachaim. That's uh. Uh, life. So she is the mother of all the living, hence she was called Chawa. <laughs> Moving along. Let's go to the second reading. Um, uh, just just one little, little uh, two little words. The, in love he destined us for adoption to himself through Jesus the Messiah. Adoption, that's huiothesia, that's being made a son or a daughter. Uh, being made a son. This is a huge idea that I tell you constantly. We don't go to heaven. We go home. In other words, we are adopted by God through the sacraments. And uh, we read that in Romans, the eighth chapter, that he might be the first of many brothers and sisters. That that, that adoption, that's our destiny, not our fate. And that's the second word I want to mention. We don't believe there in fate. We believe in destiny. God has given you a calling in your life. 
Are you living up to it? Are you even pursuing it minimally? You know, I, I know what I want and I know what I want to do. Have you ever, have you considered, no matter what point you are in life, young or old, what is it that God wants for me? What is my destiny? We don't believe in fate. We can say no to the destiny to which God has called us, as did Adam and Eve. Uh, but we don't want to do that. Now, I want to go just briefly to the gospel. Um, so much in the gospel, but something that always bothers people. I already explained, behold, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. It's behold, I'm the slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. People get upset about Zechariah, the, the father of John the Baptist. What's the difference between him and Mary? You know, she said, how can this be? Didn't he say that? Too? No, he did not. He said, prove it. <laughs> That's what he said. He said, uh, what, what is the sign that this will happen? Look at the text. He said, prove it. In other words, he, defiant, he, he defiantly demanded proof of God. The Blessed Mother didn't. She said, how can this happen? Because, well, I've taken a vow. I promised. Uh, you know, and that's the, the strong tradition that she was uh, um, a Nazarite, had taken a Nazarite vow. She would not marry. How can this be? Uh, and the angel explains. She's not saying, prove it. She's saying, I'll do whatever God wants, but how's this going to happen? Don't forget, I'm, I'm a consecrated woman. So our Blessed Mother, in humility, addressed the angel, whereas Zechariah, in arrogance, demanded proof. And sometimes you and I are like that. Prove it, God. Don't do that to God. <laughs> Say, Jesus, I trust in you. With that said, we're going to take a break. We will come back with letters, lots and lots of letters. And uh, the phones will be open, 888-914-9169. Oh, I got that wrong. Well, maybe that's a pizza parlor or something. 888-914-9149. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash forester. The Stabat Mater, a beautiful hymn. Uh, the Stabat Mater Dolorosa. There stood the sorrowful mother. You know, people talk about, oh, Immaculate Conception, that must have been great. Oh, the Immaculate Conception must have been a huge responsibility. I mean, she was the sorrowful mother. People say, well, she couldn't have suffered labor pains because that was the function of... of um, uh, you know, that was the result of sin, sin of Adam and Eve, so she didn't... Well, remember uh, that that um, Eve was told, your pains will be increased in labor. Not that she didn't have... I, I don't want to go there too much, but the point I'm trying to make here is that I have to suffer. I can't get around it. I'm not immaculately conceived, and I suffer the weakness of humanity, and I suffer for my sins. I suffer. And I don't want to suffer. 
I believe that our Blessed Mother's suffering, which was greater than any human beings, I believe, except for her divine sons, her suffering was greater than we can conceive. And she did it voluntarily in union with her son on the cross. She was the sorrowful mother and her sacrificial life augmented the sacrifice of her son, as does my sacrificial life and your sacrificial life. When we imitate the Blessed Mother by saying, Lord, I trust you and I accept this suffering for the salvation of the world, if it be your will. You see, we believe in redemptive suffering. Why? Why? Because in this world of sin, suffering is the price of love. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't care if, you know, if you fall off a cliff, I'd look and say, oh, well, that's what sociopaths do. I can never remember a psychopath. They don't, they don't empathize the sufferings of others. But in this world of sin and sorrow, suffering is the price of love. That's why sacrificial suffering is redemptive. We unite our sufferings with the sufferings of Christ on the cross. That said, let us go to letters. Okay. Oh, there's the trumpet. Okay. Uh, let's see here. I got a letter. I got a letter. This is um, someone interested in marrying consecration, ending on the feast day of Mary, Mother of God. When I make this consecration, can I do it on behalf of my entire family? Or is the consecration only for the person saying the prayers? I don't know that you can consecrate someone else. You can pray that they be consecrated, but I think they're two different things. You know, we prayed for the consecration of Russia. Um, we, we, as far as we were able, dedicated uh, something to the Lord. You can do that with your family. However, uh, the actual, uh, I really have very little control over my own life and I have none over the lives of those around me. So I, I would say that, that a, a Marian consecration, um, you can throw in the family, but you're the one who, who is, is consecrating your life and maybe through you they'll be consecrated too that just a thought on that maybe i'm wrong um this is from joan and uh, appropriate the letter's uh not recent it's from way back in november but it's appropriate to today if adam had yanked the apple out of eve's hand and shouted no and she thought better of it and dropped the apple would it still have been considered sin no no uh, to commit a sin, you have to have the full, you have to do the act, have the full turning of the will. That's the big deal. I mean, you can, you can uh, intend to go through with a sin and be frustrated in it. Uh, then I think you would still be guilty of the sin. But if I read this correctly, that she thought better of it. She had not gone through with it. The, the absolute decision had not been made. You must have to commit a mortal sin. You must have a full turning of the will. And certainly the original sin was was uh, a mortal sin. So, likewise, suppose teenager A and her friend teenager B go into a store to shop. If teenager A gets caught, teenager B sees this and changes her mind. She then pays for her almost shoplifted items. Sin or not for teenager B? I would say no, because before committing the sin... There was a grace given her to show her the consequences, and she accepted that grace. If she has said, I can still get away with it, and stolen the stuff, then it would be a sin. But in God in his mercy showed her the consequence, and 
She said, no, no, I don't want this. I, I don't want the consequence of sin, which is, you know, uh, maybe um, sophistical, as C.S. Lewis calls it, but good enough, I, I really believe. All right, let us go to, uh, we'll do one more letter. I, I have a complicated word of the day, and we do have uh, quite a few callers, so I'm just, this will be the last one. All right, this is uh, from uh, David from Tinley Park. Uh, the other day I heard a caller ask about the release of a thousand souls. Uh, the call made me think a lot, and I decided to bring it to prayer and hopefully gain some more understanding. At St. Gertrude had an understanding about the powerful aspect of intention when it comes to prayer. If purgatory is both a state of soul as well as a place, perhaps a thousand souls do, under God's justice, somehow get released from purgatorial-type sufferings, whether it be an actual place of purgatory or on earth. The St. Gertrude prayer, as well as other devotions, like to teach faithful parishioners in prayer to pray, to appreciate that with a pure heart, a lot of good can come from a simple prayer. So in this way, St. Gertrude, the St. Gertrude prayer teaches one to be more childlike and also to have a type of reverence for the sovereignty of God and communication with God. I would love to hear your thoughts. I think that's very beautiful. You know, that 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 uh, the, Saint, the prayer of St. Gertrude uh, cannot actually be traced to St. Gertrude. And uh, um, Pope Leo XIII said explicitly that, that this kind of, uh, you do this, you get exactly that kind of prayer is forbidden. Uh, it, it doesn't work. Uh, but on the other hand, that desire we have to, to intercede for souls in purgatory in the St. Gertrude prayer devotion is a, a lovely thing. And and these are tough times because people don't pray for the souls in purgatory the way we should. You do if you say the rosary, so keep saying the rosary. And that's about it. We're going to take a break. We'll come back and do a nice, early, complicated word of the day. And uh, we got a lot of phone calls, but I, I think we may get through a bunch of phone calls. So 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. Join Father Rocky and Drew for the Family Rosary Across America on the eve of the Guadalupe Feast at 7 p.m. Central this Monday, December 11th, live from the Shrine of Christ's Passion in St. John, Indiana, with hot chocolate, a drone light show, and fireworks. Can't make it in person? Watch it all live at relevantradio.com slash rosary. Roll on. roll on. Roll on. Okay. Well, let the show roll on, and it's time for the word of the day. I was asked an obscure question by someone yesterday, and I'm going to apply it to today's readings and others. Yes, an obscure question. Hard to believe. And this is so obscure that I don't even pretend to understand it. That's how obscure it is. I can't even pretend. The word of the day is papyrology, the study of papyri. You all know what papyri are. We get the word paper from in English. Papyrology is P-A-P-Y-R-O-L-O-G-Y. And papyrus, P-A-P-Y-R-U-S. Paper in the West. Chinese actually invented what we call paper, and it came to the West. But what we had before the Chinese was a kind of paper that came from the marshes of Egypt, 
uh, from a reed that you could open this reed and pound it out and flatten it. Then you put another layer on and pounded that out. And when it dried, it formed a kind of writing paper. And we have lots of this leftover papyrus uh, because the climate of Egypt is so dry. In a wet climate, it utterly evaporates. In places like Rome, they wrote on wood, they wrote on, on bits of pottery, and they wrote actually on, on wax tablets a lot before they transferred something to papyrus, which was fairly expensive in the West, or uh, uh, even more expensive uh, uh, parchment made from animal skins. So that was what they wrote on in the ancient world. Now, papyrology is the study of papyruses, and they can be dated. Now, of course, they can be dated from uh, uh, carbon-14, which pretty much works on, on those. But even better, they can be dated from the style of letters that are used. Uh, very interesting. Okay, that's, that's pepperology. Now, what does this have to do with anything? You got to understand, you really have to fix it in your mind that in the ancient world, they did not have Xerox machines. They did not have printing presses. They did not have removable type. Everything was done by hand. Hence, a manuscript, which literally means scriptus manu, written by hand. Manus is hand in Latin. So something written by hand. And they did not have electric lights. And they did not have uh, uh, very good ink. Most ink did not bite into the, you know, we have something in uh, what they call a mordant in modern ink. It, it's an acidic thing, possibly uh, a substance that bites into the paper and fixes the ink. They didn't have that. In fact, is you could wash a papyrus off and reuse it. Uh, wash the writing right off. So all that said, picture some some scribe, be he a Jewish scribe, a Roman scribe, a Christian monk, working in a dark scriptorium, which means a place of writing, and he gets a little drowsy, and he says, where was I? Oh, I was there, I wasn't there. Oh, I forgot that. I'll put that in here. So very slight differences appear in different papyri, and it is amazing how faithful the, the editions of the scripture we have are, and we can show that they're faithful by the Dead Sea Scrolls. There are very few variations. The, the, the scriptures are at least 99.99% exactly transmitted because they were so important. I refer you to the bookcase for Christ on that. However, there were some slight additions or subtractions made. For instance, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are thine is added in the Constantinople uh, text. It's not in the Vaticanus text of the scriptures, uh, which were about 300 AD. We have a huge wealth, a greater wealth of papyri of the early scriptures than we have for anything else. The life of Christ is far better attested than the life of Julius Caesar, than Cicero. The, 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 those people say Jesus didn't exist. They just, they, they just wish he didn't exist. All right. Where are you going with this? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Problem. If I, for instance, am a local notable and I want to give a, capture, a, a, a copy of a document, let's say the Bible. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a baron around the year 500 A.D., somewhere on the German border, and I want to give a copy of, of uh, 
the Gospel of Mark to 20 of my faithful servants. And I go to the local monastery and I say, I want 20 copies of the Gospel of Mark. And the monks get writing. But they have a copy, one copy, that is slightly defective. Well, all of a sudden, there are 20 copies with that defect. And manuscripts, well, they actually talked like this, that manuscripts had had offspring. And there was controversy. Does the author, does the does the manuscript belong to the the author, the writer of the manuscript? Say a calf belonged to the owner of the cow. Uh, they thought of manuscripts or copies as children of the original. So all of a sudden, because I got money, I have brought twenty slightly defective copies into the world. A pepperologist goes back and looks and says, "Oh, those twenty, those are later." The earlier text didn't have that plural or that word. What does this have to do with anything? Well, in the reading today, uh, we we see that uh, um, that, that um, uh, the the difficulties of the 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 serpent uh, and the woman. Uh, we see here, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and hers. He will strike at your head while you strike at his. I thought it was the Blessed Mother. She. No, in the Hebrew text, it's he. And uh, <laughs> as far as I can tell, there were. it's very complicated. There are, in certain copies, ambiguous. In, in Hebrews, I believe there are certain ambiguous um, uh, pronouns. Uh, well, in, and in the Vulgate, it used to be a feminine pronoun, but the new Vulgate approved by the Vatican has the masculine pronoun. The Hebrew seems to have a preponderance of the masculine pronoun. But 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 I saw the statue of, of the Blessed Mother crushing the heel of the serpent. She does. Don't worry about it. But it isn't in the text. It was put into the text accidentally, most probably later. But but then you haven't got the no you got the Bible ninety nine point ninety nine percent and then you have the church in the practice and understanding of the church we realize that she does tread on the serpent which the book of Revelations identifies as the devil. Anybody who's seen an exorcism, participated in an exorcism, knows that the Blessed Mother tramples on the head of the the Virgin. Now, the particular question I was asked yesterday by someone in in the gospel of mark and in the gospel of matthew it says some uh, some evil spirits are cast out only by prayer and fasting and the better older texts do not have the word fasting well what's the sense of it you see demons were usually cast out by authority in other words get out that's that's how that's how exorcisms work you command the demon to leave but there are some demons that take a lot of prayer as well as that authoritative statement. That's what Jesus is referring to most probably. Does that say we shouldn't fast as we're trying to fight the devil? No, we most certainly should. That's the practice of the church. In the early church, there were a number of exorcisms that catechumens went through, and they were always accompanied by prayer and fasting. So that prayer and fasting reflects the, the belief of the church and the experience of the church. And it was added the text most probably uh, the the older and better manuscripts do not have the word in fasting but that doesn't mean it isn't true you see for protestantism the bible is the mother of the church for catholics and for the orthodox the church is the mother of the bible in other words 
it's appropriate in the scripture. We understand the scriptures through the practice of the church that prayer and fasting are important in an exorcism. So it isn't inappropriate to put it in the scripture. You don't add to the scripture intentionally, but that insight of scripture is still true, even though it may not have been part of the original text. It's very hard for us because we want just the Bible, just the pure Bible. I just want the, the Bible, the literal translation. I want the best. I want the best translation of the Bible. There's no such thing. Uh, the Bible is interpreted, interpreted, interpreted in the light of our experience as believers. And it's applied in the light of our experience of believers. So paparology, looking at which text is best in terms of the text, not which text is best in terms of what the Holy Spirit is saying through the ministry of the church. See, that was obscure. Let's go to phone calls. Etienne is ringing. I, I know. And Bob from 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 Napa, uh, Napa, 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 California is there. Napa. I've been to Napa. Bob, what can I do for you? Hi, Father. Thank you for taking my call. This is the first time I've ever done it. Hopefully I can oh. articulate it. What I want to ask is, uh, you know the presentation uh, in the temple? Yes. And the prophecy of Simeon, where he is addressing Mary, mm -hmm. um, your own heart, a sword shall pierce, yeah. so that the thoughts of many may be laid bare. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand what is, what do they mean by or what does he mean by so that the thoughts of many hearts may be laid bare because he's talking to Mary, yep. I believe at that yes. point. Yes. And I, I've asked you know um, Protestant just anybody I know who could answer that. And it's, it's funny the uh, the punctuation, the mental gymnastics they'll go to mm -hmm. throw that back at the baby Jesus and about his mm -hmm. life. Yeah. But to me, it, it kind of suggests Mary's role in our uh, salvation history. You're, you're absolutely uh, right. You can just... Yeah. yeah well, you, you the, just... the thoughts of many will be laid bare. I have found in my life and in the times in which we live, if you love the Blessed Mother, you love the Church. She is the icon of the Church. If you hate the Blessed Mother and Protestant, we don't hate her, we don't, we just don't worship her. But you talk to some people and there's almost a venom involved. She was nobody important. She was just, you know, God could have done anybody. That if you, if you do not love the Blessed Mother, you do not love the Church. And in our times, we are seeing so many of the clergy who seem so bent on the destruction of the Church. I bet not one of them says the Rosary. You know, that, that mm -hmm. if, you, if you understand the role of the Blessed Mother, you understand that the Church is a family. If you don't understand the sorrow, uh, uh, the maternal yearning and sorrow of the Blessed Mother for Christ and for all her children, then you think the Church is an institution, an organization, and we should vote on the truth and we'll change this and it'll be fine. So what you think about the Church, wife, bride, mother, family, or organization, depends on what you think about her. So the, the, her sorrow, her maternal sorrow, reveals the thoughts of many people. That's how I read it. Does that help a little? Yes, it does very much so. Well, good. Very I'm glad you I'm called in. A lot of people. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. thank you so much. I well, appreciate God bless. Your, uh, your answer. Well, and, just uh, remember remember my motto. What I don't know, I can always make up. <laughs> so I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I'm glad, I'm honored that you listen, Bob. God bless. <laughs> and st oh, how's the weather? I guess it's still pretty dry in California, isn't it? Uh, no, we've gotten a lot of rain here in Napa, oh. and it's uh, it's cold, and and no. it's 
wet. We're thankful for the rain. Yeah, really. Yeah, I, I know. I've been. Yeah. It's just. It's. It's going to take a while to get over that drought. I pay attention to California because I got a lot of family in California. All right. Well, good to talk to you, yeah. Bob. Stay warm. Better All right. God bless, you, Father. All right. Take God care, bless. Bye. Let's go to Jenny from Scottsdale, Arizona. Are you with us, Jenny? And what can I do for you? Father, I've read that the liturgy of the hours is the prayer of the church. Yes, so it is. So that's pretty important. Mm-hmm. So how do you develop a love for saying it if you're not used to um, the, the poetry, etc.? I think Bishop Barron, is, what is that, dear voice in my head? He's written a book on, on the liturgy of the hours, right? This is live. Bishop Barron oh. actually publishes the Liturgy of the Hours monthly, like something like the Magnificat, if you're familiar oh, with the Magnificat. Yeah. So it's something you can get monthly as well as on an app or a hard yes. copy. And and yes, I, I would look up Bishop Barron Liturgy of the Hours if you can. And, you know, you learn to love it by saying it. And Bishop Barron's quality stuff. I, I knew him when he was a lad. He was a smart cookie and a, a great, a great, a great guy. So uh, Bishop Barron can be can be relied on to make the inscrutable much clearer. Uh, that really is his strong suit. So I would I would go for that. But it isn't a matter of loving it. It's a matter of doing it. Love is not simply okay. how we feel. Love is what we do. And after we do it for a while, we begin to feel it. So I would just do it. And uh, it provides well, well, real strength for your prayer life, at least does for mine. Like being obedient? Yes, exactly. The prayer in the church? Uh-huh. Yes, you're obedient to it. It's not required for lay people, but it is a wonderful structure for prayer. And so I would recommend it to anyone. Well, thanks for calling in, Jenny. And... Uh, Bishop Barron's stuff is good, and I'd look it up. Let's go to Mark from Phoenix, Arizona. Are you with us, Mark? Hi. Yeah, I had a question. Uh, you, you triggered a thought that I've had a long time, is that when you said that the handmaid means slave, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. That I always thought that Philemon actually isn't about slavery, but it's about consecrated life, that this is a community that he's writing to. He's writing to the superior of the community, to receive a wayward monk back to the community. Yeah, well, it might. I don't know if it's a wayward monk, but it's it was a slave. That was the the tradition is that Onesimus was a slave, and uh, he eventually the strong probability is that he became the bishop of of Ephesus at one point. And so now that yeah. was that was that was not so much a monk as, as it it was a case of of slavery, and. Uh, um, uh, well, Jesus, but Paul refers to himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. Often. Yes, yes, uh, yes. And he, he also does. Make, and, and, the, and in the and in the Philemon, he says, "Make my make my." He he's living in the community. Well, he, the the early church was certainly much more communitarian than 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 we yeah. are. They had a greater sense of community. It was much much smaller. But no, it was it was pretty definitely a case of someone who was a property of another human being. And uh, uh, Paul brings it to another level by, by making sure that, that Philemon is aware that this is more, he's a member of your community, which was the church. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a monastic community as such, but the early church had much more quality of, of that intimate community than, than most of us do now. But thanks for calling in, and I'm honored that you listen, Mark. God bless you. Okay, thank Let's, you. Bye-bye. God bless. Let's go to Louise from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. 
Hi, Father Simon. Thank you for taking my call. Quick question. Uh, yes. Could, could, Mar- could Mary have said no when asked to be the mother of Jesus? I imagine so. Adam and Eve said no. So why couldn't she have said no? But she said yes, thank God. She could have said, and the Amen. Lord would have so worked she, around it, but she said yes. But I, she, so she, she wasn't. did have free will? Oh, yes. She Our had Blessed Mother will. had free will. In fact, is her will was probably freer than yours and mine because of her Immaculate Conception. She was not impelled by any any urge or weakness and and she saw it clearly for what it was. Mia was said, oh, heck yeah, I'd like to be related to the Messiah. That'd be great. Not so great. She <laughs> knew it for what it was. Her will, I suspect, because the Immaculate Conception was more fully free than mine. So so I hope that helps. Yes. Thank you, Father well, Simon. God bless. God You're bless. wonderful. You're wonderful. Oh, on a good day when I'm not... <laughs> coughing too much and umming. All right. Thank you, Louise. God bless you. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Yes, yes. Bye. As my secretary often used to say, to know him well is to be far less impressed. Let's go to Maureen I'm from San Jose, California. Maureen, what Hello, can I do Father. for you? Hello. Father, um, I'm having a funeral mass mm-hmm. this Saturday for a dear oh. Catholic friend of mine. Oh, God bless you. And I would like to know what to say before the mass to those in attendance that are non-Catholics, that they sure. cannot receive Holy Communion. Because yes. I've been to many funerals where I know they're not Catholic, mm-hmm. and they're yes. allowing it. And I don't yes. think it's right. Oh, well, it's not right. You're absolutely correct. Okay. I would say this. I'm so grateful that all of you have come to join us here to pray, for, and make sure they understand, to pray for the repose of the soul of your friend. Okay. And... I want. I just want to remind you that we look at Holy Communion as as a vow. That when you take Holy Communion, you're vowing to live the life of a Catholic Christian. And if you're not Catholic, um, uh, or you are not in in right relationship to God, you can still receive Christ in your heart. So, at Holy Communion, if you are unable to come up to Holy Communion, just ask the Lord into your heart. And he will most certainly okay. be there, but Holy Communion right. is 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 a is a sacrament. Um, I I always tell people it's it's a sacrament as powerful as marriage. Do you want to marry the Catholic Church? <laughs> that okay. stops people in their All tracks. Right. Now, now should Father say this, or should I say this, or? One of the well, other parishioners. If father's, if father think? will say it, then it should he should say it. If he says, "I'm not comfortable saying that," said, "May I say it?" Okay, you know, if okay. he can't say right. that, then I would. Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad that oh, you're thinking thanks. about that because it's it it's. Uh, it concerns me. Yeah, it's, it's it a has, real concern. Uh, Saint Paul says, "If yeah. you receive unworthily, communion is a curse." A curse. That's mm. what the Bible says. Okay. So, all right, Father. all right. I, good. Thank God you bless. So I, I, yeah, be gentle and be loving. Speak the truth in love. All right, that's what all the right. Ephesians tells Sounds us. Good. All right, let's Thank go to Lee. Oh, God, God bless. I'm honored that you listen. Let's go to Lee from Northwest Arkansas. Lee, are you with us? Yes, Father. I love your program. I listen to Thank it every you. day. Oh dear. Great. Um, uh, I was. <laughs> I was going to uh, something that I heard yesterday when you. Talking about the storm. Ooh, Lee, you faded out. I lost you, Lee. Oh, we've lost Lee. 
We'll go to Steve. And Lee, call back in if you can. Steve, what can I do for you? Uh, hello, Father. I'm wondering if angels are part of the mystical body, or is that reserved only to us? No, nope. angels. With that, then is go on. I think I believe angels are are part of it. You know that that we will they have are. relation. We will we will have a relationship with the angels. Thence, I would believe that they're part of the mystical body. Uh, you know, St. Paul says, do you not know that you will judge the angels? So we will be in relationship to them, which would make me think that they are part of, they will be part of that, that wholeness of, of Christ because they accepted Christ before the, the tradition is that they accepted Christ even before the creation of the world. They said yes to the father's plan. So I would say, yeah. And your second part of your question. Well, I was wondering whether their experience of the kingdom of God will be the same as ours or... Uh, because we have different natures. Yes. We well, have a different yeah. Experience. Well, remember, I always, I always point out that the word kingdom means God's royal nature primarily, and they will experience God's royal nature and already do, as the saints do, I suspect. Speaking of experiencing God's royal nature, <laughs> not that. Well, Drew's coming up, and he'll help you get there. All right. Um, when. Drew's good, but, I mean, moderation is important. All right. Talk to you tomorrow. God bless.